Well, it's a rather somber day. Looks like uh, Donald Trump has lost the election. Yes, there'll be court battles. There'll be lots of things happening, but yeah, it looks like he's going to be president for at least three or four days. So let's do this. Let's go to chapter eight of Animal Farm. And this is a long chapter, but again... We can learn a lot from this book written in 1939 or 48, I can't remember. This is Gene, and you're listening to Dumbasses Talking Politics. Hey, hey, this is Gene. All right, let's get to chapter eight. We'll talk about, we'll talk about the election and um, Donald Trump's probable loss on Monday a little bit. But today, let's just have some fun. And this is kind of a longer chapter. So we'll see how long it goes. I may cut it in half, but um, right now it's, it's, and this is a pretty telling chapter. So my comments on this chapter are going to be a little shorter than normal, simply because I need to get through it. So here we go. Chapter eight. A few days later, when the terror caused by the executions had died down, some of the animals remembered, or thought they had remembered, that the sixth commandment decreed no animal shall kill any other animal. And though no one cared to mention it, uh, mention it in the hearing of the pigs or the dogs, it was felt that the killings which had taken place did not square with this. Clover asked Benjamin to read her the sixth commandment, and Benjamin, as usual, said he refused to meddle in other in such matters. She fetched Muriel. Muriel read the commandment for her. It ran, "No animal shall kill any other animal without cause." Somehow or another, the last two words had slipped out of the animal's memory, but they saw now that the commandment had not been violated, for clearly there was good reason for killing of the traitors, who had leagued themselves with Snowball. Again, changing of the laws. You're going to see this throughout. And it, when you change a law, when a law it, this is something we need to learn about when it deals with laws. Laws are nothing but playing with words. Okay, so California has a proposition, Prop 13, that states that you can only have one you can only take one percent tax on property. So if I buy a house, the house is worth two hundred thousand dollars. Once a year, I pay two thousand dollars in property taxes. They have been the California government has been trying to overturn that forever, and they've been doing it almost every election by just changing some words or, you know, messing with some words. Now, granted, they're, they're not changing a constitution or anything, which is what the pigs are actually doing in this book. But that's how laws actually work. Throughout the year, the animals work even harder than they had worked the previous year to rebuild the windmill with walls twice as thick as before, and to finish it by the appointed date, together with the regular work of the farm, was a tremendous labor. There were times when it seemed that, anim that the animals, that they worked longer hours and fed no better than they had done in Jones's day. On Sunday morning, Squealer, holding down the strip of paper with a trotter, would read out read out to them lists of figures proving that the production of every class of foodstuffs had increased by 200 percent 
300% or 500% as the case may be. Lies. Much like the lies of North Korea, saying that they had grocery stores, department stores, even ski lifts. The only ones who had anything were the tyrants themselves or those that tied themselves to the tyrants. And continue on here. The animals saw no reason to disbelieve him, especially as they could no longer remember very clearly what conditions had been like before the rebellion. All the same, there were days when they felt that they would sooner have had less figures and more food. Now, you might be saying to yourself, what's wrong with these animals? Are they just stupid? Uh, no, they're not stupid. The propaganda machine has brainwashed them. By the way, we see that today here in the United States. The propaganda machine, the news media, social media. That's a propaganda machine. They say what they want you to hear. They either ignore or censor what they don't want you to hear. And, and people eventually believe it. I, I can't remember what the... What, nah, it, it does, that actually doesn't apply here. So never mind. Let's, go, let's continue. All orders were now issued through Squealer or one of the other pigs. Napoleon himself was not seen in public as often as once in a fortnight. That's a month. When we when he did appear, he was attended not only by the retuit, retuit uh, by the cluster of dogs, but by a black cockerel, which is a rooster, who marched in front of him and acted as kind of a trumpeteer letting out a loud cock-a-doodle-doo before Napoleon spoke. Even in the farmhouse, it was said, Napoleon inhabited separate apartments from the others. He took his meals alone with two dogs to wait upon him and always ate from the Crown Derby dinner service, which had been in the glass cupboard in the drawing room. It was also announced that the gun would be fired every year on Napoleon's birthday as well as the other two anniversaries. Napoleon now is making himself into a god. This is common with, uh, this is very common with Asian tyrants. They typically do this. Uh, Mao did, did it. Uh, the Kim family did it. I mean, there's a reason why Kim Jong-un, uh, the reason why uh, Kim Jong-il became president after Kim Il-sung and then Kim Jong-un became president after Kim Jong-il. I had to actually look that look that up because it was weird. They they are treated as gods. This is and but this is also celebrated by other tyrants in Russia, Cuba and Venezuela. This is where the body of the dead tyrant is encased in glass instead of buried. So I think you can still see Lenin. You can still see Stalin. Um, Castro was encased in glass so people can always see him. Um, uh, not Maduro, but Chavez in Venezuela was encased in glass. For some reason, tyrants enjoy this because they want to believe that they are eternal, that they're going to be there forever and ever and ever. Okay, let's go on. Napoleon was now never spoken 
of as simply as Napoleon. He was always referred to in the formal style as our leader, Comrade Napoleon, and the pigs liked to invent for him such titles as father of all animals, terror of mankind, protector of the sheepfold, ducklings, friends, and the like. In his speeches, Squealer would talk with tears rolling down his cheeks of Napoleon's wisdom. Again, that's more God imagery being placed upon Napoleon. Continuing, the God goodness of his heart and the deep love he bore all the animals everywhere, even especially the unhappy animals who still lived in ignorance and slavery on other farms. It had become so usual to give Napoleon the credit for every successful achievement and every stroke of good fortune. You would often hear one hen remark to another, under the guidance of our leader, Comrade Napoleon, I have laid five eggs in six days. Or two cows enjoying a drink at the pool would exclaim, Thanks to the leadership of Comrade Napoleon, how excellent this water tastes. The general feeling on the farm was well expressed in the poem entitled Comrade Napoleon, which was composed by Minimus, and which ran as follows. Friend of fatherless, fountain of happiness, Lord of Swillbucket, oh how my soul is on, Fire when I gaze at thy calm and commanding eye, like the sun in the sky, comrade Napoleon. Thou art giver of all that thy creatures love, full belly twice a day, clean straw to roll upon. Every beast, great or small, sleeps at peace in his stall. Thou watchest over all, comrade Napoleon. Had I a sucking pig, ere he had grown as big, even as a pint bottle or as a rolling pin, he should have learned to be faithful and true to thee. Yes, his first squeak should be Comrade Napoleon. This is the completion of a religion. That's all it is. This is, that's all it is. Napoleon has become a god and the animal farm has become a cult. Continuing, Napoleon approved of this poem and caused it to be inscribed on the wall of the big barn at the opposite end of the Seven Commandments. It was surmounted by the portrait of Napoleon in profile, executed by Squealer in white paint. Now, notice it's in profile. A lot of, if you look at a lot of paintings or portraits of and pictures of supreme leaders, okay, you will notice a couple things. One one side is more heavily exposed than the other. And the second is most of the time it's not a eye-to-eye -eye picture. It's a picture taken from below. It's called a low-angle picture. Makes them look big. Makes them look godly. Makes them look authoritative. Now, what's funny is Stalin was the most notorious for doing this. Stalin was five foot one. So he was not very big. As a matter of fact, during the meetings with the United States and uh, England during the World War II, he actually stood on a box. Okay, continue. Meanwhile, through the agency of Wimper, Napoleon was engaged in complicated negotiations with Frederick and Pinkleton. Pilkington. The pile of timber was still unsold. Of the two... Frederick was the more anxious to get a hold of it, but he would not offer a reasonable price. At the same time, there were renewed rumors that Frederick and his men were plotting to attack Animal Farm and to destroy the windmill, the building of which they had roused furious jealousy in him. 
Snowball was known to be still skulking on the Pinchfield farm. In the middle of the summer, the animals were alarmed to hear that the three hands had come forward to confess that, inspired by Snowball, they had entered into a plot to murder Napoleon. They were executed immediately, and the fresh precautions for Napoleon's safety were taken. Four dogs guarded his bed at night, one at each corner, and the young pig named Pink Eye was given the task of tasting all his food before he ate it, lest he should be poisoned. Um, do I really need to say anything here? It kind of sounds familiar. I, you show me where this doesn't happen. If people loved the great leader, the great leader would not need to worry about body doubles, food tasters, bodyguards, right? At about the same time, it was given out that Napoleon had arranged to sell a pile of timber to Mr. Pinkleton. Pilkington. He also... He was also going to enter into a regular agreement for the exchange of certain products between Animal Farm and Foxwood. The relations between Napoleon and Pilkington, though they were only conducted through Whimper, were now almost friendly. The animals distrusted Pilkington as as a human being, but greatly preferred him to Frederick, whom they both feared and hated. As the summer wore on and the windmill neared completion, the rumors of an impending treacherous attack grew stronger and stronger. Frederick, it was said, intended to bring against them twenty men, all armed with guns, and he had already bribed the magistrates and the police so that if they could once get a hold of the title deeds of Animal Farm, they would ask no questions. Moreover, Terrible stories were leaking out from Pinchfield about the cruelties that Frederick practiced upon his animals. He had flogged an old horse to death. He starved his cows. He had killed a dog by throwing it into a furnace. He amused himself in the evenings by making cocks fight with splinters of razor blade tied to their spurs. The animals' blood boiled with rage when they heard these things being done in their, to their comrades, and sometimes they clamored to be allowed to go into the body of the attack Pinchfield Farm, drive out the humans, and set the animals free. But Squealer cons- counseled them to avoid such rash actions and trust in Comrade Napoleon's strategy. This is simply propaganda. They did the same thing in Russia they said the same things about the United States back in the 40s, 50s. They, well, they did it all through the Cold War. They're still doing it today. Nonetheless, feeling against Frederick continued to run high. On Sunday morning, Napoleon appeared in the barn and explained that he had never at any time com- contemplated selling the pile of timber to Frederick. He considered it beneath his dignity. He said to have dealings with scoundrels of that description. He said, uh, I'm sorry, he considered it beneath his dignity, he said, have have dealings with scoundrels of that description. Uh, It's no longer about the community of animals. It's about Napoleon now. It's all about Napoleon. He, it's beyond his dignity. It's not for the betterment of the community or the, the group. So this is what actually happens, right? Everyone talks. It's a collective, a collective, a collective. Well, eventually, the tyrant, the communist, 
it's not about the collective. It's about him. And it's about what's best for him, what's best for his group. And his group, it's not even for the best of his group, because the reality is he's going to end up killing his group eventually. The pigeons who were still sent to spread tidings of the rebellion were forbidden to set foot anywhere on Foxwood and were also ordered to drop their former slogan of death to humanity in favor of death to Frederick. In the late summer, yet another of Snowball, Snowball's mecha- uh, shenanigans was laid bare. The wheat crop was full of weeds and it was discovered that on one of the nocturnal visits, Snowball had mixed weed seeds with the seed corn, a gander who had privy to plot had, who was privy to the plot, had confessed his guilt to Squealer and immediately committed suicide by swallowing, swallowing deadly nightshade berries. The animals now also learned that Snowball had never, as many of them had, hitherto believed hitherto, received order of animal hero first class. This was merely a legend which had been spread some time after the Battle of Cowshed by Snowball himself. So far from being, so far from being de- decorated, he had been censured for showing cowardice in battle. Once again, some of the animals heard this with certain bewilderment. Was Squealer? Uh, but Squealer was soon able to convince them that their memories had been at fault. This is very common in tyrannical governments. Now, mind you, uh, Orwell is talking about communism, specifically. But this is the tearing down of history. This is the destroying of history. And we see that in our country today, which should be very, very concerning. When we talk on um, Monday about, about the election, we're going to talk a little bit about this. Because here's the thing, socialism and communism does not really, is not embraced by this country at all. And we saw that in the election. And we also see how stupid people are. And how, you know, Donald Trump, yes, he won the election, lost the election. Joe Biden won the election, yay Joe Biden. But the Democrats lost the election. So Trump lost the election. Republicans won the election. And it's all based off this bullshit that that Orwell is talking about. So let's continue. In the autumn, by tremendous, exhausting effort, for the harvest had to be gathered at almost the same time, the windmill was finished. The machinery still had to be installed, and Wimper was negotiating the purchase of it. But the structure was completed. In the teeth of every difficulty, in spite of inexperience, of primitive implements, of bad luck, and of snowball's treachery, the work had been finished punctually to the very day. Tired out of proud, tired out but proud, the animals walked around and around their masterpiece, which appeared even more beautiful in their eyes than when it had been built the first time. Moreover, the walls were twice as thick as before. Nothing short of explosives would lay them low this time. And when they thought of how they had labored, what discour- excuse me, what discouragements they had overcome, and the enormous difference that would be made in their lives when the sails were turning and the dy- dynamos running, when they thought 
Of all this, their tiredness forsook them, and they gambled round and round the windmill, uttering cries of triumph. Napoleon himself, attended his, by his dogs and his cockerel, came down to inspect the completed work. He personally congratulated the animals on their achievement and announced that the windmill would be named, guess what, Napoleon Windmill. Now Napoleon is just being a dick. He had nothing to do with this thing. He didn't design it. He didn't build it. He didn't help to build it. But now it's going to be a monument to him. What an asshole. Okay, continue. Two days later, the animals were called together for a special meeting in the barn. They were struck dumb with surprise when Napoleon announced that he had sold the pile of timber to Frederick. Tomorrow, Frederick's wagons would arrive and begin carting it away throughout the whole period of the, his seeming friendship with Pil Pilkington. Napoleon had really been in secret agreement with Frederick. All relations with, the fo with Foxwood had been broken off. Insulting messages had been sent to Pilkington. The pigeons had been told to avoid Pinchfield Farm and to alter their slogan from Death to Frederick to Death to Pilkington. At the same time, Napoleon assured the animals that the stories of the impending attack on Animal Farm were completely untrue and that the tales of about Frederick's cruelty to his own animals had been greatly exaggerated. All these rumors had probably originated with Snowball and his agents. Always Snowball. Never that the propaganda, they decided to change the propaganda. It is it now appears appeared that Snowball was not, after all, hiding in Pinchfield Farm, and in fact had never been there in his life. He was living in considerable luxury, so it was said, on at Foxfield, as Foxwood, and had real and had in reality been a prison, a pensioner of Pilkington for years past. The pigs were in ecstasies over Napoleon's cunning. By seeming to be friendly with Pilkington, he had forced Frederick to raise the price by twelve pounds. But the superior quality of Napoleon's mind, said Squealer, was shown in the fact that he trusted nobody, not even Frederick. Frederick had wanted to pay for the timber with something called a check, which, it seemed, was a piece of paper with a promise to pay written upon it. But Napoleon was too clever for him. He had demanded payment in real five-pound notes, which were to be handed over before the timber was removed. Already Frederick had paid up and the sum he had paid was just enough to buy the machinery for the windmill. Meanwhile, the timber was being carted away at high speed. When it was gone, another special meeting was held in the barn for the animals to inspect Frederick's banknotes. Smiling, uh, uh, smiling and wearing both his decorations, Napoleon reposed on a bed of straw on the platform, with the money at his side neatly piled on a china dish from the farmhouse kitchen. The animals filed slowly, and each gazed his fill. And Boxer put out his nose to sniff the banknotes, and the flimsy white string things stirred and rustled in his breath. Three days later, there was a terrible hubaloo, hubba, hubba, hullabaloo. Whimper, his face deadly pale, came racing up the path on his bicycle, flung it down in the yard, and rushed straight into the farmhouse. 
The next moment, a choking roar of rage sounded from Napoleon's apartments. The news... The news of what had happened sped around the apart the apartments. The news of what had happened sped around the farm like wildfire. The banknotes were forgeries. Frederick had got the timber for nothing. Napoleon called the animals together immediately and in a terrible voice pronounced the death sentence upon Frederick. When captured, he said, Frederick should be boiled alive. At the same time, he warned that after this treacherous deed, the worst was to be expected. Frederick and his men might make their long-expected attack at any moment. Sentinels were placed at all approaches to the farm. In addition, four pigeons were sent to Foxwood with a con conciliatory message, which it was hoped might re-establish good relations with Pilkington. Oops. The very next morning the attack came. The animals were at the breakfast when the lookouts came racing in with news that Frederick and his followers had already come through the five-barred gate. Boldly enough, the animals sallied forth to meet them, but this time they did not have the easy victory they had with the Battle of Cowshed. There were fifteen men, with half a dozen guns between them, and they opened fire as soon as they got within fifty yards. The animals could not face the terrible explosions and the stinging pellets, and in spite of their efforts of Napoleon and Boxer to rally them, they were soon driven back. A number of them were already wounded. They took refuge in the farm buildings and peeped cautiously out from the chinks in the knot holes. The whole of the big pasture, including the windmill, was in the hands of the enemy. For the moment, even Napoleon seemed at a loss. He paced up and down without word, his tail rigid and twitching. Wistful glances were sent in the direction of Foxwood. If Pilkington and his men would help them, the day might yet be won. But at this moment, the four pigeons, who had been sent out on the day before, returned, one of them bearing a scrap of paper from Pilkington. On it was penciled the words, Serves you right. This is, um, here, here's, here's the story. Tyrants are grifters. They're liars and they're grifters. They always have been. They lie, they cheat, they steal. The Kim family of North Korea is the prime example of it. Uh, the first founder, the first leader of North Korea was Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il, then finally Kim Jong-un, who you know about, who might be dead. We don't know what the hell is going on with him. But the reality is they did this. The United States, they would say, we've got weapons of mass destruction. We have gas. We have, um, what else do they have? We have gas. We have uh, nuclear arms. And the United States would pay them money. Clinton did it. Bush did it. Reagan did it. Obama wouldn't do it. Trump wouldn't do it. It's because they would take the money and then when they started running out of money again, they would sit back and say, we've got weapons of mass destruction, you need to pay us more money. This is what tyrants do. to get to Because a lot of these countries, a lot of these countries, they are isolated from the rest of the world. And they're isolated because they want to be isolated. And they're isolated because 
other countries isolate them. So they don't have resources. The United States doesn't have every resource. We do now. We're getting there. We need to work with other countries to get certain resources. We did that with oil before Trump. We were constantly working to get more oil from other countries. And we were at the we were at the mercies of those countries. But other countries they are not going to negotiate. They're not going to deal with it. Tyrants do not want to do that. They don't want to see. They don't want their people to see what things are like in the rest of the world. And the best way is to keep themselves isolated. Let's continue. Meanwhile, Frederick and his men halted about the windmill. The animals watched them, and a murmur of dismay went around. Two of the men produced a crowbar and a sledgehammer. They were going to knock the windmill down. Impossible, cried Napoleon. We have built the walls far too thick for that. They could not knock that down in a week. Courage, comrades. But Benjamin was watching the movements of the men intently. The two with the hammer and the crowbar were drilling a hole near the base of the windmill. Slowly and with the air of almost amusement, Benjamin nodded his long muzzle. I like Benjamin. That donkey, he knows his shit. I thought so, he said. Do you not see what they're doing? In another moment, they're going to be packing blasting powder into the hole. Terrified, the animals waited. It was impossible now to venture out into the shelter of the building. After a few minutes, the men were seen to be running in all directions. Then there was a deafening roar. The pigeons swirled into the air, and all the animals except Napoleon flung themselves flat on their bellies and hid their faces. When they got up again, a huge cloud of black smoke was hanging where the windmill had been. Slowly, the breeze drifted away. The windmill had ceased to exist. At this sight, the animals' courage returned to them. The fear and despair they had felt a moment earlier were drowned in the rage against this vile, contemptible act. A mighty cry for the vengeance went up, and without waiting for further orders, they charged forth in a body and made a straight for the enemy. This time, they did not heed the cruel pellets that had swept over them like hail. It was savage, bitter. It was a savage, bitter battle. The men fired again and again, and when the animals got to close quarters, lashed with their sticks and their heavy boots. A cow, three sheep, and two geese were killed, and nearly everyone wounded. Even Napoleon, who was directing operations from the rear, had the tip of his tail chipped by a pellet. I like this. This is a great use of language to accentuate the cowardice of Napoleon. He compares the de Orwell compares the deaths and serious injuries of the animals who are charging against the men who have guns firing at them while he stays in while Napoleon stays in the rear and gets injured because of a pellet hits the tip of his tail. Wanna bet Napoleon gets a medal? Well let's read on. But the men did not go unscathed either. Three of them had their heads broken by blows from boxers' hoofs. Another was gored in the belly by a cow's horn. Another had trousers torn off by Jesse and Bluebell. And when the nine dogs of Napoleon's own bodyguard, whom he had instructed to make a detour under cover of the hedge, suddenly appeared at the men's flank, 
baying ferociously, and panic overtook them. They saw that they were in danger of being surrounded. Frederick shouted to his men to get out while he the going was good, and the next moment the cowardly enemy was running for dear life. The animals closed them right down to the bottom of the field and got in some kicks at them as they forced their way through the thorn hedge. They had won, but they were weary and bleeding. Slowly, they began to limp back towards the farm. The sight of their dead comrades stretched upon the grass moved some of them to tears. And for a little while they halted in sorrowful silence at the place where the windmill had once stood. Yes, it was gone. Almost the last trace of their labor was gone. Even the foundation were partially destroyed. And in rebuilding it, they could not, this time, as before, make use of the fallen stones. This time, the stones had vanished too. The force of the explosion had flung them to distances of hundreds of yards. It was as though the windmill had never been there before. As they approached the farm, Squealer, who had unaccountably been absent during the fighting, came skipping towards them. Whisking, that's a great use of words, skipping as if he's happy and nothing ever happened. Skipping towards them, whisking his tail and beaming with satisfaction. And the animals heard from the direction of the farm buildings the solemn booming of a gun. What is the gun firing for? said Boxer. To celebrate our victory, cried Squealer. What victory, said Boxer. His knees were bleeding. He had lost his shoe and split a hoof, and a dozen pellants had lodged it themselves into his hind leg. What victory, comrade? Have you, have we not driven the enemy off our soil? The sacred soil of Animal Farm? But they have destroyed the windmill, and we have worked on it for two years. What matter? We will build another windmill. We will build six windmills if we feel like it. You do not appreciate, comrade, the mighty thing that we have done. The enemy was in occupation of this ground that we stand upon. And now, thanks to the leadership of comrade Napoleon, we have won every inch of it back again. Then we have won back what we had before, said Boxer. That is our victory says Squealer. It is easy to be happy after a battle when you did not fight. It is also easy to say we will build again when you did not do the work to build. And this is the problem with tyranny. Communism. Socialism. It is easy to take the money through taxes from someone who did the work and then do whatever you want with it. It is, that's the whole thing. Politicians don't do work. They do nothing. They're worthless. Joe Biden, 47 years in, in, in the Senate and as vice president, did nothing, but he feels the need to tax people. AOC, who has done nothing her entire life. She, this being in Congress is her first full-time job. But she feels the need to say, hey, we need to raise $93 trillion in the next 10 years, and we need to tax the people that are actually producing and employing people. 
this is a huge huge part of this book in realization that tyrants do not actually suffer anything. They are cowardly. They hide themselves, which is exactly what happened in this battle. And yet they reward themselves and they tell everyone, well, it's us that actually won the battle. It's a crock of lies. And that's a huge problem. I also want to point out that Napoleon messed the farm up again by making enemies of all his people. So, for example, Pilkington and Frederick now both hate Animal Farm. It makes Animal Farm rife for uh, attack because there is a shot that Pilkington and Frederick are just going to get together again They've already damaged the animals and are going to attack again. Or if they decide just to leave them alone, where is Napoleon going to get any resources for anything to help the animals? They can't even get seeds at this point. It's, it's, this is how, this is why socialist countries like Venezuela, this is the most recent, socialist countries do great for the first five years. But after that, they start going downhill and they go downhill fast. And the reason they go downhill fast is because they have kept themselves away from anyone. They have cheated. They have lied. They have stolen. And they begin to fall apart. They limped into the yard. The pellets under the skin of their boxer's legs smarted painfully. He saw ahead of him the heavy labor of rebuilding the windmill from the foundations and already imagined he braced himself for the task. Already imagination braced himself for the task. But for the first time it occurred to him that he was 11 years old, and that perhaps his great muscles were not quite what they had been. But when the animals saw the green flag flying, and heard the gun firing, seven times it was fired in all, and heard the speech of Napoleon made, congratulating them on their conduct. It did seem to them, after all, that they had won a great victory. The animals slain in battle were given a solemn funeral. Boxer and Clover pulled the wagon, which served as a hearse, and Napoleon himself walked at the head of the procession. Two whole days were given over to celebrations. There were songs, speeches, and more firing of the gun. And a special gift of an apple was bestowed on every animal, and two ounces of corn for each bird, and three biscuits for each dog. It was announced that the battle would be called the Battle of the Windmill, and that Napoleon had created a new decoration, the Order of the Green Banner, which he conferred upon himself. In the general rejoicings of unfortunate affair on the banknotes was forgotten. There's a frickin' shock, huh? So Napoleon actually awarded himself a medal again, and he had nothing to do with it. It was a few days later than this that the pigs came upon a case of whiskey in the cellars of the farmhouse. It had been overlooked at, a t- at the time when the farmhouse was first occupied. That night there came from the farmhouse a sound of loud singing, in which, to everyone's surprise, the strains of Beasts of England were mixed up. At about half-past nine, Napoleon, wearing an old bowler hat of Mr. Jones, was distinctly 
seen to emerge from the back door, gallop rapidly around the yard, and disappear indoors again. But in the morning, a deep silence hung over the farmhouse. Not a pig appeared to be stirring. It was nearly nine o'clock when Squealer made the appearance, made his appearance, walking slowly and dejectedly, his eyes dull, his tail hanging limply, behind him, and every appearance of being seriously ill. He called the animals together and told them that he had a terrible piece of news to impart. Comrade Napoleon was dying. He's not, he's hungover, but a whatever. A cry of lamentation went up. Straw was laid down outside the door of the farmhouse. The animals walked on tiptoe. With tears in their eyes, they asked one another what they were, should do if their leader were taken away from them. A rumor went around that Snowball had, after all, contrived to introduce poison to Napoleon's food. At 11 o'clock, Squealer... You getting tired of hearing how Snowball's doing all this stuff? I mean, if Snowball was so good, he should have been the leader. At 11 o'clock, Squealer came out to make another announcement. As his act upon the earth, Comrade Napoleon pronounced a solemn decree. The drinking alcohol was to be punished by death. By the evening... However, Napoleon appeared to be somewhat better, and following and the following morning, Squealer was able to tell them that he was well and on his way to recovery. By the evening that day, Napoleon was back to work, and on the next day, it was learned that he was inst he had instructed Wimper to purchase in Willington some booklets on brewing and distilling. A week later, Napoleon gave orders that the small paddock beyond the orchard, which it had previously been intended to set aside a grazing ground for the animals who were past work, was to be plowed up. It was to be given out that the pasture was exhausted and needed receding. It soon became known as Napoleon intended to sow it with barley. Now, one thing I do want to point out here is that that pasture was made for cows, for animals that could not work anymore. They were too old. This is another problem. The aged, and this is a problem everywhere, I think, the aged become useless. And so it doesn't matter what happens to them. About this time, there occurred a strange incident which hardly anyone was able to understand. One night at about 12 o'clock, there was a loud crash in the yard and the animals rushed out of their stalls. It was a moonlit night. At the foot of the, of the end of the wall of the big barn, where the Seven Commandments were written, there lay a ladder broken in two pieces. Squealer, temporarily stunned, was sprawling beside it, and near at hand there lay a lantern, a paintbrush, and an overturned pot of white paint. The dogs immediately made a ring around Squealer and escorted him back to the farmhouse as soon as he was able to walk. None of the animals could form any idea as to what this meant, except old Benjamin, who nodded his muzzle with knowing air and seemed to understand, but would say nothing. But a few days later, Muriel, reading over the Seven Commandments to herself, noticed that there was yet another of them which the animals had remembered wrong. They had thought the fifth commandment said, no animal shall drink alcohol. But there were two words that they had forgotten. Actually, the commandment had read, no animal shall drink alcohol to excess. Yeah. 
sure. Another law changed. Now, what the animals should realize is that the laws are changing because their betters are breaking the original laws. And no one's calling them out. And no one's calling them out because they have no power. They can't call them out or they'll be executed. And they could be executed because they, well, they will be executed according to Napoleon because they broke the law or they um, admitted they were committing treason. But the reality is they'll be executed because they're going against their betters. We see a lot of this today. A couple of examples. Democrats wanted to force socialized medicine, yet not one Democratic congressman or Democratic senator wanted to actually use that socialized medicine. They still wanted to keep their private plans that they got through Congress. That seems to be kind of a hypocrisy, yeah? I mean, if you think this is so great, why don't you just use it? They don't. We also need, we also need to take a look at this whole COVID-19 thing. Democrats, you should wear a mask. You should, we should close all business. You should not get haircuts. You should not, you should only go to doctors when you need to. You should not go to stores, blah, blah, blah. You should smoke pot. You should buy liquor. But meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi goes to a hairstylist and gets her hair done. That brought over in Chicago, mayor of Chicago, goes out, gets her hair done. No mask, by the way. Do as I say, do not do as I do. And our betters deserve what they're getting. And meanwhile, we can eat cake. That's a Marie Antoinette thing. It is... We see this throughout the Democratic Party. It's very common. So, okay, so that's chapter eight. We got through it. So you can follow me on Twitter at RunninFool, R-U-N-N-I-N-F-E-W-L. You can download or listen to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Podcast Addict, Stitcher, and YouTube. You can uh, visit my website at www.dumbassestalkingpolitics.com. This is Gene, and you've listened to Dumbasses Talking Politics. <laughs>